The covenant of Abraham holds immense significance to our faith. It represents God's promise to bless all nations through Abraham's descendants, ultimately fulfilled in Yeshua. It establishes a foundation for salvation, highlighting faith as the main element. It underscores God's faithfulness and serves as a reminder of His redemptive plan for all humanity. The following is part one of six parts in this teaching series. Hi, I'm Dr. David Jones from Ruach Ministries International in Brandon, Florida. And I just want to share some things with you today in regards to the gospel. Now, we've been taught our whole life about the gospel. We've been talking about the gospel for 2,000 years. But my question is, do we really know what all it involves? Do we really know what all it means? And uh, was there more to it than when, you know, Jesus, Yeshua, when he came to this earth, when he stepped in this earth and pulled his disciples and, and when he did what he did? Is there more to it than that? Or does it just stop there? Or does it start there? What exactly does it involve? And that's some things I want to share with you here because the scripture says the gospel existed and was proclaimed before Yeshua became flesh. And I believe there are some things in here that we really need to look at. Are you ready? Well, first off, let's think about it. When you think of the word gospel, what do you think of? You know, the Webster's Dictionary defines gospel as basically the life of Yeshua, the life of Jesus Christ, the, his, his death, his birth, his resurrection. But then there's something interesting, too. It says in Galatians 3 that the gospel was declared or preached to Abraham, to Avraham. Well, if the gospel was declared or preached to Avraham, what is it? What could it be? What exactly does it entail? I mean, is it God's Word? Yes. Is it uh, theology? Well, some would argue. Of course, that is theology, right? Is it just doctrine? Again, some would argue. But what does it mean? What does it have to do with our life? What do we ha- how do we live in the effects of the gospel? Those are the things that we want to talk about today. Because... The word gospel, if you look at a King James Bible and you look it up in a a concordance, you'll see that the word gospel does not exist in the Torah. It does not exist in the Tanakh. The word gospel itself is not used. But here's some funny thing. When we say gospels and we're talking about scripture, what do we think? We automatically go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Well, the interesting thing is that the word gospel was used in 98 verses of Scripture, it was used in Matthew 5 and 5 verses, and Mark in 8 verses, Luke was 4 verses, and then in, in the book of John, you know, the Gospel of John, you know how many times the word gospel was used? None. It was used none in the book of John. So just, just the thought of saying gospel has to be the book of the Gospels, um, we need to change our, the way we think about things. We need to change the way we approach some of these things because there's more to it. There is definitely more to it, okay? So first we have to learn that gospel is not just a New Testament concept. It's not just a New Testament idea. It's an idea that existed beforehand. There's more to it than there. Look at Galatians 3. We already referenced verse 8, but look at Galatians 3, uh, starting in verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, know therefore they which are of faith are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith Preach the gospel to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. 
So the interesting thing about this is, if the gospel was declared to Abraham, what is it? Well, verse 8 tells us. It says that the gospel was declared and preached to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, let me preface this before we go further. I am not taking anything away from the Gospels that are in the New Testament. I'm not taking anything away from our Messiah. I'm not taking anything away from Yeshua. What I am saying is, did it exist beforehand? Or, and did Yeshua come to fulfill it? That's what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it, it's showing a more completeness of the work that he came to do. Did he come to do something completely and totally brand new, or did he come to do something he declared from the very beginning? And that's what we want to talk about. We believe Scripture is a prophetic book, and it works prophetically. Well, if we believe that, then he would have declared something from the beginning for us that's relevant today. And so the gospel that was proclaimed is saying, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. How in the world is that going to happen? Not just that the nation of Israel has been a blessing to, to the, earth, the earth and the world that we live in. I mean, it has. Uh, look at all the great achievements and the great accomplishments that the people of Israel have done. But is there more? Yes, there is more. So we look at it. What exactly did God declare to Abraham? Genesis 12, if you want to read with me. Genesis 12 says, Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Verse 3, And I will bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you. And look at the fine line here. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. See, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So, what does that mean for us? Are we part of all the families of the earth? Well, yeah. So how is Abraham, someone who's been long gone, a blessing for us today? And that's something we need to look at. Again, Genesis 17 tells us the same thing. Abraham was 90 years old, and, and the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me. Be perfect. I will make my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall your name be called any more Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Not just one nation. Now, the nation of Israel is a nation, but that's just one nation. So well, what about the tribes? They're tribes, not nations. So see, there's many nations, others that have to be brought into this. And I will make you exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come out of you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after and their generations for an everlasting covenant. And I will give to you and your seed after you the land uh, where you are a stranger, the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and be their God. And God said to Abraham, You shall keep my covenant, therefore, you and your seed after in their generations. Verse 10 says, This is the covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your seed after you. Then it says, again, the uh, controversial statement we have here, Every man child among you shall be circumcised. In verse 11, And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between between me and you. The problem with this is, if you just read it the way that we would think to read, just read it straight through, we think, and this is the covenant that I will have with you, you shall circumcise the foreskin of, of your flesh. Now, the problem with that is, it says right after that, this, that the circumcision is not the covenant. The circumcision is a sign 
of the covenant. Now, when we understand when Abraham was first given the covenant and first given the promises and first given all these things, was he circumcised? And the answer is no. He came to the Lord in faith, just like we do. But then there was a sign given, and the sign did not come into play until Abraham said, Lord, how will I know that, that I want to inherit these things? How will I know that there's going to be, you know, my, my seed established and you're going to make me many nations? How am I to see that? And God says, so you want a sign, do you? We'll give you a sign. It kind of reminds me of, oh, you want quail? I'll give you quail. So much quail will be coming out your nose. <laughs> so the idea is... God is is seriously giving us something uh, that we can naturally see to to remind us of something spiritual. And so Abraham was wanting to know, how am I going to know these things? Because the fact is, Abraham could not keep a covenant for those when he's gone. I mean, if he's gone and he's buried, how can he see and understand that the covenant is going to be there? Well, so when you read it that way, God says, this is the covenant I'm going to keep with you. Everything that preceded verse 10 is the covenant. And then the things starting for the latter part of verse 10 and 11 is the sign of the covenant. So when we read it that way, it reads different, very much different. Genesis 18, 17 says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children, and listen to this, and his household after him. It's not just his children, not just his natural born children, but his children and his household after him. It's, it's all of those who would come after him and be part of his household. Now, even today, many of us have uh, people who you could say we've adopted, you know. Uh, as parents, my kids bring their friends over and they have friends who we have adopted, right? They're part of my household. Uh, it's just the way it is. Isn't it like the, our father the same way? I mean, Abraham was a, a godly man, but he was a man. And he had those who naturally descended from him. Now... Are there others who did not naturally descend from him who can be included in his household? Hmm. Genesis twenty-two fifteen says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of the heaven a second time, and he said, I have sworn, says the Lord, for because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, thy only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. See, But no, no, it's not about obedience. It's about faith. The problem is we don't understand that faith means we will be obedient. To have faith means we will listen to what the Father says. And even if we don't understand, even if we don't get it, we're going to listen. We're going to do what he said. We have faith that if we just believe him and we walk with him, we do what he says, he's going to make everything work out the way that he said. And so here, was the problem just to Abraham? No, the problem was to Abraham and his seed and all those who would follow. We read about it in Genesis 26, 1 through 5. God passed uh, from Abraham to Isaac. Isaac was given the exact same blessing. Genesis 26, 5 says, Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Because Abraham walked in faith, He did what the Father told him to do. Because he did what the Father told him to do, these things continued. 
It's generational blessings that are passed on from generation to generation. And these are the things that we are supposed to walk in. It was given to Isaac. In Genesis 26, 24, again, the Lord appears and says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. I am with you and I will bless you and I will multiply your seed for Abraham's sake. Because of what Abraham did, I can pass these things on to you and then you will pass it on to your children and it will be a continual covenant. Was the covenant the circumcision? No, the circumcision was a sign of the covenant. Could Abraham keep the covenant once he was gone? No, it was passed on to those after him. But the thing is, could Abraham keep the covenant at all? Because the covenant was God saying he's going to bless and multiply all the nations through him. How can Abraham do that in his own strength? He can't. How can his descendants do it in their strength? They can't. The covenant is that God was going to establish them and God was going to move them forward. The covenant was given from Abraham to Isaac and then from Isaac to Jacob. It says again in Genesis 28, Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said, You shall not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father. Take a wife from the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And you will be a multitude of people. And give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your seed with you, that you may inherit the land where you are a stranger that God gave to Abraham. Verse 13 of Genesis 28 says, So behold, the Lord stood above the ladder, and he says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land where you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. And your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 48, 3 through 6 tells us this. Jacob says to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and says, Behold, I will make you fruitful, multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people, and I will give this land to your seed for an everlasting possession. And then he says, Your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came into the Egypt, are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And in your issue... Which, we, which you come after them, they shall be mine, and they shall be called after the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So what we see here is that he says that his two sons are going to be elevated to the same place of his natural-born sons. That Joseph's sons are going to be, have the same position of inheritance that the, 12, the other 12 sons are for the 12 tribes. And he says all those that will come after are Joseph's. But for the sake of inheritance, for the sake of Uh, heritage, they shall receive the blessing that was given from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's it's going to be moved on. Now back to Galatians, Galatians 3, 13, and 14. Now Galatians 3, what we read earlier in these scriptures right here is the basis for this whole teaching because I want you to understand Galatians 3, 8 and Galatians 3, 13, and 14 is, is something that really needs to look at more so. It says that Our Messiah has redeemed us from the curse of the law, and just for the sake of argument, the curse of the law is not the law, okay? The curse of the Torah is not Torah. The curse of the Torah basically sums up, this is my uh, interpretation, if you will, if you sin, you die, okay? That's the curse of the law. But he says, he has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, verse 14 tells us something amazing. Why did he do this? Did he do this to start something completely new? Or this is just a very overlooked verse in Scripture. It's something that you don't hear much about, but it has existed for a very long time. What does it say? 
It says that the blessing of who? The blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Yeshua HaMashiach, through your Messiah, so that the blessing of Abraham could come on the Gentiles. So that the blessing, and the, the, what is the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham is the covenant and the promises and all the things that were given to him could, could be extended to, notice I'm not saying anybody replaces anybody. I'm saying so that they could be extended to the Gentiles. Those who are not naturally born Abraham, you know, a descendant of, can be a partaker of the promise and the covenant and the blessings and all these things that God gave to Abraham to be a part of the family. Not to be excluded from the family, not to take anybody's place in the family, but to be a part of of the family. And it says that Yeshua, our Messiah, did this so that you, as a believer, can have the same covenant and blessings God gave to Abraham. Notice it does not say something completely and totally new. It says something that existed before you can be a sharer of. Ephesians 2 says that as well. You who were once afar off and a stranger and, and did not know anything about the covenants and the promises of God now have been brought near, brought near to what? The covenants and the promises and the blessings that God gave to Abraham. Even what was done at Sinai is an extension of what God gave to Abraham. Look at this, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so it says, brothers, let me make an analogy from everyday life. When someone swears an oath, no one else can set aside or add to it. When God made a promise, no one else can change it. And we need that because no one else can change what the Father has given you. If he's given you a promise, no one can take it away from you. But what if you don't know that promise exists? If you don't know that promise exists, you can't walk in it. See, we need to know what the Word says so that we can fully walk in the Word the way our Messiah intended us to, right? Galatians 3.16 says, The promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. Now, it doesn't say seeds as if to many. On the contrary, it speaks of one and to your seed. This one is the Messiah. Now, some of you will say, see, the seed is the Messiah. Yeah, but then why does it say if you are a partaker of Messiah, then you are also a son of Abraham? And partaker in that seed is not Messiah in you, are not you in him. And if that is the case, you are part of that seed. Again, Galatians 3.17 says, The legal part of the Torah, which came 430 years later, does not nullify an oath sworn by God. When God said something, he meant it. And when God establishes something, it is established, and it shall stand. And if God says something and he doesn't change, why are we going to say he changed things? You know, to change, to do away with something is what I'm talking about. Now, God will add and he will bring something to flourishing and he'll prophesy something and he'll bring it through. But he won't completely erase something just for the sake of doing it. Okay? So it says that God gave Abraham a promise. And what are the promise? The blessings, the covenants, all these things that are established for him. Galatians 3.29. Let me ask you a question. Are you a believer? Do you believe Yeshua is your Messiah? Then Galatians 3.29 says something to us. It says, though if you are Christ, if you belong to the Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. 
again, the promise God gave to Abraham. Because if the promises or the covenants or all these things that were given to Abraham are no longer in effect, you know, the old covenant, the things that you don't need, so you're told... See, if you are partaker of what God gave to Abraham and you don't need the things that God gave to Abraham, then you are a part of something that's no longer necessary. Guys, that just doesn't make sense. We need to see what the Father has given us. If you are a partaker of the covenant that God gave to Abraham, in Galatians 3.29 says, if you belong to the Messiah, that's exactly what you are, then we need to know what that covenant says. Back to Galatians 3.5, it says... He therefore ministers to you by the Spirit and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Uh, here's the thing. In both instances, you both heard the word. The, the, the thing that's different is how you respond to the word. Let me ask you this. When you have children and you ask them to do something that they don't want to do, but it's right and it's good for them because you know you're the parent. When they respond, how do they respond? You could have one to respond with a good heart. I want you to go clean your room. No, I don't want to go clean my room. That's terrible. That's, you're just being legalistic. I have to go clean my room. Or I need you to clean your room. Okay, I'll go do it and go do it. What's the difference between the two? They both were given the same task. They both were given the same word. The difference is, what is their response to it? One had a heart's desire to do what was said because they wanted to be pleasing to their father. And the other just wanted to do their own thing, and anything that was given to them for their betterment or for their good was considered just a bad and legalistic and law and everything else. It's the same word. The question is, what's your response to it? And it really just reveals your heart that was given to them. Galatians 3.10 says, For many are the works of the law as are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Guys, that's just coming back from Deuteronomy 27.26. It says, A curse on anyone who does not confirm the words of this Torah by putting them into practice. And all the people just say, Amen. All that means is this, that God's word is good. God's word is holy. God's word is pure. God knows more than we are. <laughs> you know, He knows more. So we need to just listen to Him. We need to just do what He says because he knows better. Galatians 3.11, No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Quoting Habakkuk 2.4, says, Look at the proud, he is inwardly not upright, but the righteous will attain life through trusting faithfulness. Amen. We need to walk in faith. The problem is when we say walking in faith means ignoring everything that the Father told us to do. When we say, God, I love you. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my everything. But I don't want to listen to you because I don't care what you have to say. We have a problem. See, when we do what he says, we're walking in faith. Again, why does it require faith to walk in the Word of God? Because God's ways are higher than our ways, and we do not fully comprehend God himself. So when he tells us to do something, we just need to be faithful. We just need to walk in it. Verse 12, the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. We've always heard this say, the man that does the things of the law must live by every aspect of the law. Guys, it's, it's, it's absurd. Leviticus 18, 4 and 5 says, You are to obey my rulings and laws and live accordingly. I am Adonai your God. You are to observe my laws and rulings. If a person does them, he will have life through them. I'm not talking about salvation. We forget that the Torah was given to a people who were already redeemed. We're talking about how to live a life that is blessed and how to live a life to overcome the ways of this world. It does not contradict walking by faith. 
And so Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And I say, Amen. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But uh, remember, the curse of the law is not the law. The curse that was in the Torah is not Torah. The curse that was in the Torah is if you walk your own way, if you do your own thing, if you cast off all restraint, you will perish. But good is the word of the Lord. Good are his ways. Good is his life. Good are the things that he has established to us. Those are the things that we need to learn to walk in. Deuteronomy 21, 22 says, If someone has committed a capital crime, is put to death and hung on a tree, his body is not to remain all night on the tree, but you must bury him the same day because a person who has been hanged, on, hanged has been cursed by God so that you will not defy, defile your land. The thing with that is, this is just put in here just to show you the fulfillment of that verse. Why is cursed uh, everyone who hangs on a tree? Because it's in the Torah. Why would you be saying this is a Torah-established thing, but the Torah is irrelevant and unnecessary? It contradicts. And either the, the, the word contradicts or our understanding of the word contradicts. Guys, it's our understanding that we need to work on. Uh, the word is pure and it is holy. So what we need to learn is this. As a believer of Messiah Yeshua, you have been given a covenant. You have been grafted into a covenant is, is more likely the way to say it, is the more proper way to say it. You have been grafted into a covenant. The covenant was received in faith. The work was done for you. We'll talk more about that in our next episode as we go to see that the work was been done for you. It's not anything that you can do, but you must come in faith. And once you come in faith, do we have any responsibility to walk in faith or do we come in faith and then do absolutely nothing? Faith is an action. Faith must be walked in. Faith must be seen. And so what we see is you were given a covenant by faith. And so we need to learn to walk in that every day of our life. Hebrews 4, 1 and 2 says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, that any of you should come short of it. For unto us the gospel was preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Why? Because it wasn't mixed with faith by the people who heard it. See, when the gospel is declared, it needs to be in faith. It needs to be given in faith. And it needs to be received in faith so that we can walk in it. Because if we don't walk in it, that's not faith. And so we will get to a place to where the word that is declared in full faith has full reign and is established fully in our life. Because if not, the word will profit us nothing. So how do we do that? How do we just come to him in faith? And how is it established? More on that the next time we come together.